Hello, I'm Elliot Wengler and you're listening to Apocalypse Arcade Zone, the brand new podcast all about video games. If you, like me, have spent your life growing up playing video games and being told by your dad, you promised me you'd get off that bloody thing one day, then tough. Yeah, I haven't gotten off it, but I've gotten off it long enough to go and talk to my friends from the worlds of comedy and so on about video games, find out what made up their lives of video games, but also talk about arcades and all sorts and find out what's going on with them in general. The guest for the first episode is a very good friend of mine and a very good comedian he has traveled around the world doing comedy he has done podcasts films shorts online he has been just about everywhere in the world he is an enigma and he is a very funny man and he's a very nice man and he is letting me record this first episode in his actual house which is a very strange feeling uh please welcome to the show it's the one and only lovely sam rhodes hello sir good to be here pleasure it's very weird welcoming you to your own house that's right (laughs) That's what I like, you know, when I bring people, when people come round, I'm like, say welcome. <laughs> Don't say hello. Welcome to my ha- Welcome to your house, Sam. <laughs> Sam, you, you have got like two, you got two specials on Amazon Prime yeah. from your stand-up work. You have got LPs of your music out. You have got LPs of your comedy out. You've got podcasts. You've got a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of everything. You travel, you're doing a US tour later this year. I am indeed. Yeah. You, 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 you've played Russia, I believe. I used to you've... go out to Russia like three times a year and do shows, yeah. Not so much recently, I'm guessing. Obviously not since is there the less, war, Is there less comedy in Russia these yeah. days? How do you do all this? People ask me this all the time. Like when I meet people at parties and they're like, what do you do? I kind of ream off all the stuff and I'm pretty sure they think like, oh, this guy's full of shit. Like there's no way anyone's doing all this stuff. Ever since I started doing comedy, I've just treated it as a full-time job you know if you want comedy to be your full-time job do it as a full-time job and i was very lucky early on my very first special i made for bbc3 it was shown once at two in the morning and then buried forever so off of the back of that i managed to (laughs) i managed to sort of trick my way into some gigs that i certainly wasn't ready for at that point Um, But then hopefully I've got up to the point where I'm actually kind of good enough to be doing the things I'm doing now. So I think life is nice. Some gigs bring your bring a sound mixer and um, layer layer 12 versions of yourself behind yourself doing doing musical comedy, but not like not straight songs. You do a little bit of everything. It's quite you you bring a real range to you. How come you've got so many skills? Well, I've just wasted (laughs) my life is the short answer. (laughs) I've 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 always been someone who's who's just stayed away from regular jobs you know um before i was a stand-up professionally i was a musician professionally and i just got very used to the idea if i can't generate some work i'm going to be hungry this week (laughs) so um i just i just made sure i could fill every niche that i needed to so i learned production you know i play like seven instruments to a a fairly good level list the instruments okay so i'm a drummer first and foremost i did jazz drumming at the royal college i was the only metal I was the only metal guy on my course and everyone hated me. <laughs> I love the idea of metal drumming at the Royal College. Oh yeah, I was I was the metal drummer at the, the Royal College studying jazz for three years. It was crazy. So I play drums, I play guitar, I play bass, I play keyboard, I play flute, I play the banjo um pretty well <laughs> i can't i can't, can I, can't sing. Believe, I can't believe banjo is more surprising than flute in that combination oh, no, i love the flute like all the 70s guys i like are big flute players you know if you like jethro tull you've got to learn a bit of flute basically if i can find where the notes live on an instrument i can usually make it make a noise and i won't say that i can make it sound amazing but i can do enough that it's passable you know You've recently released an LP slash podcast. You've, you've you've done a comedy sketch podcast, 
uh, you've also released it on vinyl because why not? Yeah. Um, but um, uh, do you want to talk us through the Junior Misses? Yeah, the show is called Meet the Junior Misses, and it's an old-fashioned style radio sketch podcast. Yeah. And it also contains two comedy songs an episode. So as well as it being an eight-episode season of half-hour shows, there's all of the songs are available as a standalone album as well and an american record label put that out for us and i'm very very proud of it i love it to bits i think what i really enjoy about your work is that you do something like that and you don't just release it as a thing and you've released it you work out you, you then go oh and obviously people want the songs like this and it's like you treat it i think you treat your work with the level of nerddom that nerd nerds like you and i treat what we're wanting to buy if you know what i mean i think you've hit the nail on the head there like i think you would release an amiibo of yourself if you could oh definitely yeah (laughs) i mean my thing is always like i want people to enjoy my work in the way i enjoy other people's work and a lot of that involves kind of collecting and and being involved on that sort of level so you know we've got cartoon character equivalents of us for the radio show you know we've the album cover is a spoof of um blood sugar sex magic by the red hot chili peppers just because that's one of my all-time favorite albums so i was like oh yeah this is this now you know and uh, everything i do is kind of steeped in this weird nerdy collector's idea where i just kind of throw everything at the wall and i just love it and i just feel like I've, I may have said this to you before, but I've certainly not said it on a podcast before. I do not understand why more comedians don't make their own stuff. Because I came from music, and in music, if you want to make an album, you make a fucking album. <laughs> but stand-up comedians around the world are waiting for the guy with the big cigar to go, Hey, hey kid, I'm going to make you a star. <laughs> and that guy does not exist, because no one gives a shit about you or the or the stuff you're making. See, I thought you were that guy when I'm first Yeah, that's you. right. I think there's a disgusting <laughs> amount of people who think I'm that guy. <laughs> Yeah, I just I just love it. I just I love making things. And for me, there's nothing greater than holding as a record collector, holding a record that you know you that, that I've made, you know, and it's just one of the most beautiful things. And I'm lucky enough to have made about five albums in total that have been pressed on vinyl and I just I fucking love it, you know. Uh you did you grow up learning all the instruments or was it just what have you was it a, was it a passion of yours or was it something that was put on soon oh, you no, it, it, the the real thing for me about music is that it was something I discovered myself my my family are ridiculously kind of working class um all the way back it's it's you know like my grandfathers were working in mines you know and, and the attitude in my household was very much you are to learn a trade and you do that we are not the sort of people to have dreams <laughs> so so when i got into music it was like it was literally like a bolt of lightning for me i i heard a couple of albums i had some friends when i was maybe 11 or 12 and i remember hearing music like cool alternative music for the first time and i thought to myself this is like film music that was my response i was like this is like the cool music that i hear in the films i like and i was shocked at this idea that oh you can just listen to that at home and you can just enjoy it for me the thing that got me into music the most as i said was that sort of idea of self-discovery like this isn't something that someone has shown me i have found this myself this is for me and i remember going to my first ever I went to my first two concerts in the same week. One was Badly Drawn Boy, who's an old indie guy that you may remember. The other one was a death metal band called Morbid Angel. How old were you when you went to see Morbid Angel? I was about 13. 13 years old. 14. 
And I remember just going to that concert and I'd always been a weird outcasty kid. I used to just read all the time. I never played sports. I never did anything. I felt very lost. I was just, it was comics yeah, yeah, yeah. and games workshop. That was it. And computer games, obviously. But I was I was a real outcasty sort of kid. And especially in my social group and at school, there were just none of me. And I very clearly remember going to see Morbid Angel and being like, oh shit, here's all the other me's. It's really, <laughs> here's where we are. <laughs> and I think that's that's a wonderful thing about fandom that I think growing up in the noughties and then the, as I grew up mostly in the noughties and stuff, it's a thing that you can do more than ever and meet people. You know, you could, the idea of going to a comp, if I had been sort of 10 years older, the idea if i was 10 years before my own time i doubt i would have gone to things like comic con because i wouldn't have found them so easily but you go to things like that and you meet other people who love the things you love oh yeah definitely and that's i think the music is it's it's the well, same that, that was very much it it was really like finding my little tribe you know and it, it just and to be honest like i have always had this weird mindset whereas if if, if i don't like something i'm just not going to do it so I wasn't good at school because I just didn't fucking care. If I didn't like a subject, I was never disruptive, but I just didn't do it. You know, I was on report every week, you know, and I would I would get threatened with expulsion. So I would do enough homework that I could, like, not be on report. And then I'd just play drums for 10 hours. <laughs> believe, it, but believe it or not, I did not find my tribe at my first gig, which was busted at Wembley Arena. Oh, my God. <laughs> We've got very different first concerts. You it's, and I. it's really we, we, it was me and my parents at the very back at Wembley Arena watching Busted the, the month about a month before they broke up the first time. Of course, um, and it was not uh, it was not the way I found my friends, but I did find my <laughs> friends, and I found my interests in myself better when I got into video games. Yes, and video games is what we're here to talk about because I don't know about you, but I really miss the sensation of the arcade, and I love the. Uh, th there's something about certain old games being re-released all the time at the moment that makes me just yearn for that time. Oh, big and... time. Well, I, I think the, the I have sense memories of early computer games in the same way I have sense memories of, like, songs and music that I like. You know, I if I see Mega Man, I don't just see Capcom taking all of my money again. <laughs> I see, you know, I see me as, like, a 10-year-old boy staying up two nights in a row to try and beat it without turning the console off because i didn't know how the passwords Hold, work you know? holding the game boy under the covers that's right yeah and i i really did live through that you know and uh, me and my brothers i've got two younger brothers and we we are very close and we're very very good friends but literally the only thing we all have in common is computer games so i also have this real beautiful association like oh this is how i bonded with my brothers you know well, welcome to the Apocalypse Arcade, because what's happened, Sam, is that the world's ended. Oh, no. How, how, how are you going to... I'm, I'm interested in talking about the end of the world as a precursor to this, uh, because I think it's something we all kind of, sort of, experienced a couple of years ago. Yeah. And we're, all, we're constantly living through... I mean, you and I have been saying it's a hot day, and a reminder of hot weather in Britain is uh, a sign of the end of the world coming at some point. <laughs> How 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 the how when the world actually ends and there is an apocalypse situation, how will you react? Well, I've got to be honest. A lot of the time, when I watch any post-apocalyptic thing or play any post-apocalyptic game, I'm always like, "Why don't these guys just kill themselves?" <laughs> 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 like I'm like, this okay, this is not taken long. <laughs> so you've got to live in a post-apocalypse irradiated wasteland. You've got to fight fucking ravagers. You don't know where your next meals come from. If you break your leg, you're gonna die. I'm like, why not just find a nice a nice bunker somewhere 
and just eat yourself into oblivion you know why do you, why do you have to go and like explore and live adventurous lives well luckily that's what you can do because you have arrived at, you 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 have found the bunker oh You've, brilliant you bunkered down i've bunkered down and it's full it, of computer it's, games it's, n- it's it? not dissimilar to perhaps our, our current recording setting who knows <laughs> but yeah you found the bunker full of arcade full of arcade cabinets and games and it is all the arcade it is all the games of your life mm. which is great which that is dead is handy for the until you you're not envisioning a survive as long as you can situation you're envisioning a let's just get out of here this i would not want worth it. i would want to be as comfy as humanly possible i would want to continue living my life as close to how i live it now <laughs> as humanly possible i i don't envision myself being some great wasteland warrior i just think i would be too easy going to be killing people for their food <laughs> so. you're as comfy as possible in the apocalypse arcade nice and it's got your complete and and, and the first and, and the first thing we're going to need to sort of kit out the bunker that you've ended up in is uh your your console history so what is your video game console history sam rhodes i'm gonna show my age here the very first games machine i ever got was an amiga 500 Oof. and i fucking loved that thing i feel like i've never actually asked you what your age is because i assume you're not that much older than I'm me 37 but... oh yeah for, yeah seven years on yeah yeah so yeah um, fair enough I'm going to share a story here that I'm sure will Amiga be Amiga 500. An Amiga 500. My father was a policeman. Okay. And I never thought about this until recently, but I was I bumped into an old friend of his from the cricket club recently. And this guy said to me like, oh, I loved your dad. He was always down at the cricket club selling his watches. And I was like, what? And then I thought about it. And like our house, everything we had, our entire VHS collection was all pirate videos oh no and the amiga 500 we had had two huge boxes every single game was a pirated game so i strongly suspect that my dad when he was a bobby was going out busting these guys selling things on the streets and then just taking it home for himself so because we had no money growing up literally like he was a bobby and my mum was a, a housewife she had three boys to look after so uh we grew up in a very kind of like like everyone says you don't realize how poor you were until you kind of look back on it yeah but um yeah to like really to get this amiga he just brought it home with him one day from uh from work and set it up and um i was i adored this thing and it was like getting the keys to the kingdom because as i said we had probably 60 or 70 games that's so many and at the time that, that's more like i'm trying to think of like the the console i probably have the most games for is the ps4 because they gave away you know they gave so many games away over the years of subscriptions yeah i don't think even i've played 70 no. games so on we had <laughs> these big fold because it was floppy disks we had yes. these big um these big cases full of floppy disks and we had a load of games and it was like a godsend but it was in the age of the anti-piracy rules so a lot of these games had little f- badly photocopied copies of the um the, code. the game manual or the code yeah, so that yeah, you yeah. could play the game you know um and i adored that thing i think that was that was the very first console i ever got and just every hour i wasn't at school i was playing the amiga with my brothers definitely so you started on the amiga 500 yeah and, and from there well um from there obviously nintendo yes uh i got a nes um and me and my brother martin who's the the middle brother of the three of us uh we just adored that thing anything that was two players we were we were all about it uh we had i think i think i've owned every iteration of every nintendo console because i just have 
I've said this as a joke, but I have a better relationship with Nintendo than I do with most people. I've yeah. spent more time with Nintendo than I have with my own father. You know? they, <laughs> I think the other thing about Nintendo consoles is, and people who don't love Nintendo don't get it, they, they instill a sense of loyalty in the players, not because of a love of Nintendo, but because they make these characters and experiences that you just want to do again and again oh yeah and, and I... each time you do it no matter no like each time you play as link in whatever session they come up with this time or whatever version of hyrule it is this time it feels brand new mm. it, every every single even like like the madness of going from ocarina of time to majora's mask where they've you know to an extent had to reuse lots of the you know the yeah. the, 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 the the structure and building blocks and graphics and textures etc but it feels completely new again every single time well i always argue that the 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 fact that they always had the nintendo seal of quality and any nintendo game had to be brilliant before it was allowed to be released on the system yeah i just think the stuff that they've made in-house is almost flawless i think there are games that are 25 30 years old that i can play today and still find new things in you know i mean super mario brothers 3 was the first game i had on the nes and i I know that game inside and out and I still play it through like once a year and I just I just adore it. I just think it's a just a perfect piece of game design. It does everything it can do with the system it's on. It's got completely unique experiences in every game world and it was made on a console that can't run anything. And if you look at comparatively what the other companies were building for those consoles, everything Nintendo made was 10 years in advance, I think. They the the NES these the NES could probably couldn't open Microsoft Word these That's days. That's exactly right. But yeah. The, but the like the amount of stuff in those games from the, and I think people who didn't play games. I mean, I didn't have a console myself until GameCube was my first wow. one. Wow. I know. But more on that. Like, more on that. <laughs> what I'm going to do is slowly but surely answer all the questions Yourself myself well. <laughs> throughout. But I'm going to answer different. I'm going to. I'll do that throughout the remaining hundred episodes yes. and see how we do. But like it, those games that they re-release over and over, like Super Mario Bros. and Ocarina of Time, that get re-released over and over because people love them, they, the, I, I think some people just don't appreciate that they were inventing things like getting a temporary power up. Yeah, they were well, inventing things like momentum when jumping. Mm. The thing I think is really fascinating, and it's a Capcom game rather than a, a Nintendo game, but I always think that they were the other massive market leader at the time. When you look at Mega Man 2 and the idea you could do the levels in any order and get the different power-ups and the different power-ups were strong against certain other baddies in the game, like nowadays you take that sort of thing entirely for granted, but the design of that game and the way it worked meant that as a kid without access to the internet, you could only beat that game by playing it over and over again and learning, okay, well, if I do this one first, then I can beat this boss easier. And then if I do this guy next, I've got the powers to do him. And like this sort of stuff you just take for granted now. But like, I loved the games that you learn by playing. Yes. And I think that's what Nintendo and Capcom did exceptionally well. Mega Man and Mario Brothers, especially Mario Brothers 3, you learn those games by doing the game yeah rather than having a tutorial it's it's a voyage of discovery you know as you're playing you discover new things each time you discover what the power-ups can do you discover some in mario brothers there's those guys in the boots i don't know if you remember those yeah yeah yeah. and i remember i'd played that game for months before i realized you could knock them out of the boot and get in the boot (laughs) it's it's, 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 it's sort of terror it's sort of you can't quite believe 
it opens up a whole new realm just to try things out but also they were amazing social things in that you know everyone at my school would have the same games my friends would have the same games and i'd be like i'm stuck on world five of mario and someone would have to have got there and done it usually because they had an older brother who'd shown them how to do it (laughs) and i just remember like you know the thing that i think is amazing is my capacity to start those games again over and over again like mario brothers 3 you always started from the beginning yes you know and when people hear this or think about this now it seems crazy you got no like you could save mario brothers 3 but like i would usually just start it again because every time i'd do it i'd get a bit further a bit better or i'd find the warp whistle or whatever you know and it it just was as I said, I, I really felt like much as I was passing time, I was also kind of learning a little bit, you know, and it was rewarding in a way that I think a lot of other games at the time just weren't, you know. Um, the next question is, what is your first, what was your first memory of playing a game? Was It's not Mario Brothers 3, because that was not no, Amiga 500. No. You know your first memory of playing a video first game First game I ever played, probably, was a game called Rick Dangerous. Rick Dangerous, Rick, here we go. Rick Dangerous, I tried to play this game again last year. It is one of the hardest platformers anyone has ever made. It is one of the most 80s sounding games yes, I've ever heard. It was basically an Indiana Jones game, but right. they couldn't get the license. Oh. So Rick Dangerous looked like Indiana Jones, he has a whip and a gun <laughs> and uh it's if anyone wants to look it up it's a bit of a forgotten classic they only made two of them the first one's based on indiana jones the second one's based on kind of close encounters so the first one's in you know in temples with like scary little kind of native guys throwing spears at you and spike traps and then the second one is on a spaceship was this on the amiga 500 this was on the amiga 500 and um the amiga 500 was a really interesting thing because it could clock up to almost 16-bit graphics yeah, yeah. So graphically, it was a lot better than the Nintendo at yes. the time. It was available around the same time as the NES, but it looked more like a like a Mega Drive or something like that. You know, it had a much higher level of processing power. You could actually get some real good. It was sort of one of the first. Of that. If my his, I've I've read my gaming history a bit. It was sort of, if I'm right, one of the sort of the first sort of equivalent of the modern dedicated gaming PC. Pretty much, exactly, yeah. So but obviously, it, it was cartridges a, and floppy disks still. Yeah, yeah, it was all floppy disks, which is really <laughs> interesting. But it it was like a modular machine, so the computer was in the keyboard, and the floppy disk drive was in the keyboard. But you could buy other things to attach to it, and it was backwards compatible, so you could still buy a tape deck for it if you had older Commodore games. You could buy a tape deck and run those on it. But it, its processing power and stuff was really, really good for the time. And also, um, you could do things like create Word documents and use Paint, you know. So it was a very, very, very good system. Mind-blowing. It was Words that previously were stuck to pen and paper, well, now on Amiga, a screen. I had an Amiga 500, and that was the lowest level version they did. They did the 500, the 800, the 1200, and the 1500. When your dad was out for looking for who he was arresting that day, did he go and like, do you have anything better than this? Come yeah, on, do you, you do got you... an Amiga 6, you've got an 800, have you? Come on, I'm not looking for a, t- I'll, I'll, don't, don't need a 12, I need at least an 800. Come on, try yeah. I'll I mean, come back tomorrow when you're when you're selling a dodgy one of them. Yeah, agreed. It. Agreed. I mean, mine was mine was like one of the. It was already old tech pretty much when I got it. You yeah, know? but um, you know, my friend had the one thousand two hundred, and that was one of the first things I ever saw you could attach a CD drive to. It was, as I said, mine looked good, and my friends who only had a NES would come over and we'd play the Amiga, and they'd be like, "Oh my god, these graphics are blowing my mind!" <laughs> <laughs> and then I'd go over. There was a game called Chaos Engine on the Amiga, which was fucking outstanding. And I remember looking at that game and just thinking, like, this is it. Graphics are never going to get better. Than this. <laughs> it looks so good. It's an odd one, the question of graphics, because, like, 
often the thing with being a Nintendo fan when you're a boy compared to PlayStation 2 fans at the time was that you could say they could tell you they had better graphics in their games yeah. but you could tell you had better gameplay or whatever it was and now I feel like the graphics question has been ended oh, because yeah, there's no it's... need to make them better anymore well, I mean did you, did you see the Fable trailer yesterday of Richard Iowadi yeah 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 what, what the hell is that I know it's <laughs> weird man I think like um, I always was even when I was young I wasn't obsessed with graphics it was all about like what is a good game you know i remember resident evil when that came out and i remember thinking that was a huge graphical leap i remember playing that and and thinking like oh my god there's like because they had those realistic looking environments you know and and the first resident evil if i'm right it's the first the first one you, you, the camera is stuck in one position static. per yeah, room yeah. isn't it and so, so they're have... actually they're actually like photographs and mock-ups for all of the background yes. so i remember thinking like that game had a real atmosphere and looked like nothing i'd seen before at that point but after about the PS2, I stopped really giving a shit about graphics because it's much more about, like, does this demonstrate what I want? And so many of my favourite games of the past five to ten years, they're mostly kind of retro-influenced stuff where the graphics are comparable to new stuff like Dog Turd, you know, but the gameplay is what really mm. matters, and I've always thought that was the case. What's your favourite story or campaign in a video game? Oh, this is an easy one for me. Bioshock. Bioshock. Tell us about. T- tell am, us the story of Bioshock. I am obsessed with Bioshock. I think Bioshock, like a lot of pieces of art, there's these big movements forward. And obviously games like The Last of Us and The Last of Us Part Two have really perfected this storytelling now. But Bioshock was the first game I ever played where it had a great twist at the end... And it had a world that I just felt like I really wanted to be in. Yeah. Um, I love... Um, I just love the questions that game asked. I read the book. They they did a really beautiful book called Rapture. Like a huge tome, which is the history of the founding of Rapture, the city that they live in. And the idea of um, Andrew Ryan, no gods, no monsters, only man. I just love this idea because... You know, it's like unfettered scientific discovery is basically what it is. If we had no morals, how far could we push humanity? And I think not only is it an amazing first-person shooter that holds up to this day as a gameplay loop, the story in that and the environment of that, I just don't think anyone has ever bettered that. I think you can get all three on Switch now for something like 20 quid. You can get the, the, the remastered trilogy. collection. Yeah. And the first and third one are are the best ones okay the second one feels like a, an add-on pack to the first it's still sure. very 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 good and it's nice because it it's a sequel that you kind of need to have played the first one to really get because okay. it's all tied into the very first game but just the world of that thing you know that under underwater kind of art nouveau design the idea you have to harvest small children to get your power ups so it's very <laughs> kind of dark um, it's it's everything I like in a bit of dystopian sci-fi, basically in one of the best gameplay loops ever made. I just I just adore Bioshock. I I think everything about it is fantastic. Uh, Sam Rhodes, what is the best game you've ever played in the arcades? And uh, did you go to the arcades much I growing up? Did you have an arcade near you? To what, what Sega your... World. Sega World. Now yes. it's in the Trocadero. In the Trocadero. Okay. That's we where will have I to, used to go. Y- you and I are going to come back and do an extra episode a few months from now and yeah. just, just talk about the Trocadero the for two hours. Because <laughs> I miss that. that. That's part of why I want to make this show. Because I yeah. love the Trocadero. And I want to just find out if anyone else remembers that feeling of walking mm-hmm. into... And like I guess we're adults, maybe it's less exciting now to some people. But when you're a kid and you walk into that, the Trocadero, um, it's millions of levels of fun. And like 
until then, I think as a kid, the only thing you could do when you went out as a teenager to a point was go to um, shops where you couldn't afford yep. things or Pizza Hut. Well, the reason Sega World was so good is because you paid to get in and then all the games were set to free play. Oh, my God. Um, so See, I, I think Sega World closed before I started going there. Yeah. My, yeah. So, okay, so a, tell us about Sega World. So this, this was just a massive arcade with basically every possible Sega arcade machine in it. They even had the Afterburner that moved. I don't know if you know about that. So Afterburner was a, a, a fighter jet game. And they built three levels of this cons- console. There was a stand-up one that you could play standing up. There was a sitting-down one with limited movement. And then there was a third level, which was a full gyroscope inside. So as you flew the plane, the whole thing went around. Oh, what, and you like had to when, strap yourself into it to play like, it. Like when they're filming the Millennium Falcon in Star Wars. Yes, exactly <laughs> like that. And that was just an, an amazingly exciting thing. Um, they they had so much stuff from all around the world. They had a lot of weird Japanese games. And obviously nowadays, the idea that we have all the Japanese games, we just take this for granted, right? But in yeah. the olden days, like you couldn't get hold of these things. And you would see they would have cabinets in japanese in there you're yeah like japanese exclusives and you had no fucking clue what the game was or what you were <laughs> supposed to do but they just had a completely different look and vibe to them um for me for the arcade there's only one answer and it's street fighter street fighter the original uh well street fighter 2 street fighter, i was gonna say that's the, the main that was one. i was gonna say street, street fighter the original, street fighter, the original sack of shit street <laughs> fighter 2 one of the greatest games of all time um i am mildly obsessed with street fighter and yes. that was the one, especially having brothers, as I said, we, we always wanted the games that we could play together. So Street Fighter is one of those games that kind of passed me by a bit. Oh, and I, I know, but I've, I've played like things like Soul Calibur and I've played, what's the other one that's not like Mortal that? Kombat? Mortal Kombat. I've played bits, but I don't think, because obviously I think Street Fighter 2 was a cultural moment in itself. It really was, I yeah. feel like it passed me by a bit. What mm. was so exciting about Street Fighter 2 when it happened? Well, there was a couple of things that really made Street Fighter 2 kind of stick with me, like um, the fact that they released all the different editions, which is something people don't think of now. Instead of being able to do add-on packs, they just released the game again. So you've got <laughs> Street Fighter 2, the original one, with only eight characters, you know. Then you got Street Fighter 2 Turbo, which was the same game with turbo settings, so you could play it at a higher speed. Then you got Super Street Fighter 2, which was uh, you could play all the bosses from the original one and then you got super street fighter 2 turbo where they added four additional characters (laughs) and of course you had to go out and buy them over and over and over again see people complain about people complain about about, uh um dlc and stuff these days the rip-off of battlefront 2's you literally just had to buy the entire (laughs) same game again yeah and that's madness like the the street fighter 2 that had the four extra characters my friend my best friend at high school had that and when we would go for sleepovers we would just play Street Fighter for 10 hours. Um, and, you know, uh, the em- the sort of emulation on your Super Nintendos and on your Sega Mega Drives had gotten good enough. It wasn't quite as good as playing it in the arcade, but it was good enough. You know, it was close enough, and it was really nice. 
my memories of the arcade in the caravan park where we had a we had a, we had a caravan in Ho, in Hoban near Bournemouth mm. and I remember the arcade there had a lot it didn't ha, it had a Street Fighter 2 machine but it was broken oh no and they never fixed it and where people asked why and it was because it was just like we, we don't want to go through that again yeah yeah people get too <laughs> excited about Street Fighter 2 I remember people queuing up to play Street Fighter like literally you know like guys who are playing pool you put your 50p down yeah 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 like it was so popular and and there was an unwritten rule when I would go to an arcade where if you won, you would then play the you next stayed on person. Until the next you would person. stay on, yeah. And the new person would just pay in their 50p or whatever and then they got to play. It was really fun. You see, anecdotes like that make it all the more fascinating that it took until well past the 90s and sort of until sort of, until sort of, I don't know, what I'd call the Minecraft era of gaming for the idea that gaming isn't social the idea that gaming isn't social stuck basically throughout the 90s and noughties mm. is this it's not social it's bad for kids and stuff but actually the tale of people queuing up and playing their friend playing strangers at street fighter in the oh, same way you'd, play, yeah. you'd queue up for a game of pool well i think just i always dispels thought it was, the myth it was it? immensely social and i think computer games was a language that all children understood as well so that's very true no matter what you were into because i was never into sports and football is the other big one with with young men you know they watch the football but i of course could never talk to people about football because i had zero interest but every kid my age had a game that they liked to play or something like that so it was a real social glue you know we all had this same shared and common language so i actually think much as it was antisocial to sit and play the games at home on your own the idea of like sharing like hints and tips and talking to people about games or you know when like when the nintendo 64 was coming out talking about like oh you know it's 64 bit this is going to be crazy you know and how different it was going to be and uh the obviously the nintendo versus sega debate was obviously yes. the big thing you know and these were ways that you could communicate with with your fellow humans which see, was very helpful see, for Ni- a tiny nerd like me <laughs> nintendo versus sega had been well and truly um answered by the time i got there because mm. i was frequently told no no playstation have won that actually oh yeah playstation <laughs> guys yeah well was, uh... i think they did win overall because i've been a playstation absolute mainstay since the playstation one I'd, i've never really been an xbox guy you may have already said this with street fighter 2 but what is the best multiplayer game for you sam rhodes oh yeah oh. you can say street fighter 2 again if you want but well you can i'm also... going to the but, one but, I... but, it, but it means that when people get to the bunker after you've mm. long gone we need some be, other one we can't just there'll be two street fighter 2 mechanics there'll be two street fighter 2 arcade cabinets next to each other i'm gonna pick a game i don't think anyone has ever played except for me there was a game on the nintendo called chippendale rescue rangers what the hell is that? It's Chip and Dale. The it was a what, the, ca- the, the cartoon. cartoon the, the, the mouse, the ma- the mice. They're two. Dude. They're two uh, chipmunks. Yeah. The chipmunks. Those guys. Two little chipmunks, and they made a game of Rescue Rangers, and it was made by Capcom, who also licensed and made Ducktales. If you've never played that, that's another fantastic game. Um, but basically, they kind of used the stuff they'd learnt on Mega Man to make these beautiful Disney games. Okay. And Chip and Dale was a, an amazing multiplayer experience because you it was a platformer where you were both playing at exactly the same time. It wasn't like Mario where you took took turns. And you had to solve the puzzles by like moving blocks and helping people. You could pick the other guy up. You know, and like carry him around. Oh, on so your it, head. Was, it was it was proper co-op in that absolute like... co-op. But it was a platformer, which is something I'd never really seen before. Because usually a multiplayer platformer, it's like one guy has his go, and then the next guy has his go. But yeah. Chip and Dale, the whole game was built so the two of you played together at the same time. 
And so, but so it's not like because, like, well, I think my classic example of this is the Lego Star Wars, the Lego yes, games, yeah. where one player, oh, you've got a, well, the other guy, could, the other your sister or your girlfriend or or, or other men can join. <laughs> men can also play the Lego games. Yeah. Um, join in and they'll go and press the panel to allow you to move across, and you'll press the yeah, panel. Yeah, it's very much the, like that. Yeah, little puzzle solving things. But the real beauty of that game is that you could just pick your brother up. Uh, he couldn't do anything about it until you threw him, and you can just lob him down a hole. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a beautiful cooperative experience until he did something that wowed you up, and then the game just became who can pick the other one up and throw them down the hole quicker. <laughs> That's such a cruel way to play. Well, it was it was really fun, and, and me and my brother we we played that. God knows how long we played Chippendale Rescue Rangers. It's just a, and I played it again fairly recently. And and like Ducktales, it holds up exceptionally well because Capcom really knew how to make a game. You know, uh, it's very good. So for anyone who's never played it, Chippendale Rescue Rangers for the NES, a absolutely magnificent multiplayer experience. What is the game that you have spent far too much time on, but you're proud of it? This is goes into the apocalyptic theme. It's definitely Fallout. Okay, let's talk about Fallout. This is the big one. I've yeah. done Fallout 3. Mm-hmm. I haven't done Fallout 4. I, I haven't done New Vegas. I adore... I don't know which... I Do I bother? Yes. Okay. All three of those are <clears throat> some of the finest computer games ever made. For me, it's always that sense of discovery. And the thing I love about all three of those Fallout games is I've started and restarted those games over and over again. And every time I feel like I've had a completely unique experience. The subquests, the characters, um, the design of the world. I just, I love it. I just love it so much. Um, I think it's New Vegas where there's a group of, like, survivors who have taken on the, the ideas of ancient Rome. And they have <laughs> a huge subquest if you want to join them and be one of their centurions. And um, I got so into that that at the time I was, my then girlfriend was telling me, she was saying to me in the middle of the night, like she was waking me up and she's going, who's Caesar? And I said, oh, he's what? the big boss. Who's Caesar? She was saying, who's Caesar? I said, oh, he's the big boss in this game I'm playing, this bit I'm on the game at the moment. She's like, you keep shouting about him in your sleep. No. I, I got so into it that it was really like, Fallout just gets into my DNA, you know, and like it's one of those games I, I find, because I'm obsessed with like gameplay loops, this this idea that, you know, d- discovery, difficulty, um ramps things like this i just think fallout has the most beautiful way of showing you what you can do and what you can't do they always have you meet a bad guy if you wander off the path too early that will absolutely mum to you and then you know when you can come back 40 hours of gameplay in like like a huge armored freak and just destroy this thing that was a nightmare at the beginning of the game you're like that's really satisfying there's just something really nice about that i want to solve it with a sense of achievement without feeling like I've I'm frustrated with it, you know. Yeah. And I am I love the new Zelda. It's one of my favourite games I've ever played, Tears of the Kingdom. But the further I'm getting into the game, the more I'm finding that the cryptic messages are a little too cryptic. I do I do remember that there is a puzzle in Breath of the Wild there are things in Breath of the Wild where it's like, Hello do you want to hear my song? Yeah. And then she'll and then there'll just be some text on the screen of someone with little musical notes but no actual music or yeah. actual song being sung of someone going 
and it's in the scary valley you can see eight rings and then yeah you're meant to just work out out, yeah but like on the other side of the map you'll see eight like holes next to each other and you go if i shoot an arrow through those yes exactly i'm finding i'm finding there's a few too many things in that game i'm having to look on youtube for and i really don't like that because i want to discover it myself the problem is is that i've I've occasionally gone how does this work and you Mm. find out and then you you, you you kind of feel robbed from the discovery yourself well that's but the also... problem you know or you watch the video and of course the video is 15 minutes long and you just need oh, to no. know one tiny little bit and you end up skipping a little bit too far and then you see a bit of the next bit and you go no take see, it away see i don't mind people sharing all the i don't mind with tears of the kingdom i'm not minding the sheer amount of random shit i'm seeing yeah in terms of people making massive robots and people making I transformers really and stuff yeah, yeah. but you're and, and, and it just but, but i i discovered yesterday i discovered uh yesterday that you can fuse the shield you can fuse your shield to a minecart yeah and then you, and can, you can, can just use that about, as well. yeah. but it's not just but like it's not just you can skateboard about you could it's not because like, you could do that sort of before but now i've got an infinite vehicle yeah yeah and you it's can just, just ride it around so, yeah but but also what i've just the implication to me that also means is that what I've done is I've gone to the, the Korok seed guy. Mm. I've got on loads of... I've focused all my extra slots on shields because I am just going to... Every time I see an item that I can't... Every time I get out a um, a Zonai device that I can't put away again, I'm just going to attach it to a shield. Yeah, that's right. I'm just going to use my shield. As as, yeah. My shields are just going to be my inventory of all my so extra So is that bits. how you get additional slots to store to carry things then? You've got to find the, uh, the guy with speak, the seeds. Yeah, see, the guy who... You need to find that guy you, with you, the seeds. You, 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 trade, <laughs> you trade seeds for slots. Oh, right. Okay, good. You see, I've been playing that game for 60 hours and I've just <laughs> learned that now. So this is this is why I like Zelda very much. <laughs> it's good. Uh, yeah, yeah, you go to him and he'll give you either a slot of extra swords, um, of either, either weapons, bows, or shields. That and is it, good to know. Yeah, but do you, do you want to know the bullshit thing? What? So the first, like, the first two slots he gives you yeah. cost one Korok seed each, right? Yeah. And then after that, they start costing two. And then it doubles and doubles and doubles. So by the time you want, say a fit like uh, say a tenth shield slot mm. you'll be like oh that that will cost you 900 yeah. seeds or that's like. good because i've got like 50 seeds <laughs> yeah, so yeah, i'm you'll gonna be, you'll, you'll be love... uber powerful when i find that fucking guy <laughs> well that's he's 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 in he's in the east he's in no he's in the northwest northwest okay i'm gonna look that up today that's gonna be my mission to find the seed guy <laughs> the flip side to my question about which game have you spent the most time on mm-hmm. is which game have you spent the most time on and you're ashamed of it it's not really ashamed, but probably the actions that I committed because of the game. Oh, God. I think it was Fable. What crime did you do? <laughs> uh, Fable 2. I've always had this very strict rule with myself where when I find a game frustrating, I try not to shout at the game. I try not to get, like, nerd ragey. I just put it away. But I only once broke that rule, and it was the, the add-on missions for Fable 2. Um, they did this whole add-on pack with these extra dungeons where they were just puzzles that you had to solve. And they were the most kind of oblique and difficult to understand puzzles. And they often revolved having to hit something very accurately. And quite often the sword would swing very wide and you would hit like three things. So you'd spend (laughs) ages setting the fucker up and then you'd hit the thing. I loved Fable and Fable 2 so much that I was like, I am going to finish this game. But I hated that add-on pack. I hated it with every inch of my life. Every puzzle, instead of being enjoyable and kind of satisfying, I just found them to be more frustrating. And I just forced myself to do it. 
and I hated playing it. I really did. And I spent hours just to complete this game that by the end I was just like, I never want to see that damn game again. Get out of here. And I was just doing it. And when I finished it, I was like, why did I do that? I didn't enjoy that last like six hours of that you know it it is the worst feeling when you have spent time on a game and not enjoyed it yeah but you but you can't not well i had (laughs) as i said i've completed all the main quests i've done most of the side quests in the game and then there was like this dlc and this dlc as i said was just puzzles and i didn't enjoy the puzzle element of it at all no but i was like i want to get this game done and I just was in a terrible mood for like two weeks <laughs> because I was trying to do this fucking thing that I just didn't enjoy and didn't get any sense of gratification from. So Peter Molyneux, I'm blaming you. That's your fault. I the, don't like it. The weirder one is when it's DLC because when it's DLC, you've paid to do some more. Yes. If it had been a few years later and you had bought Fable 2, Game of the Year edition, and there had been the version of everything built in, yeah. you wouldn't know that those would just be other side quests that you yeah, had yeah, left. Yeah, exactly. But you have so paid to do I extra bits. I paid extra money for that, yes, and I hated it. See, I had that a bit of Animal Crossing, because I got Animal Crossing in lockdown like everyone else did, mm. and I had a lovely time with it, and I really, really had a lovely, lovely, lovely time with it. Yeah. But the whole time I was playing it, I knew that I would one day stop playing it. And I have not played it now for maybe uh, nearly well, 18 months or something. Yeah. And I just think, all the time I spent on Animal Crossing, why didn't I spend that doing anything else? Because that's time I would... <laughs> yeah, you could if have... I... <laughs> anything else would be like, I have completed this big well, quest, I'll, or I'll I have learned a skill um, or something. Because I was a musician, and then Guitar Hero came out. Oh, no. And I was obsessed with Guitar Hero. I yeah, of course. I the first three Guitar Heroes on Expert all the way through because i just i was obsessed with it and it was at the point where at the big music expo they had guitar hero i think it was guitar hero 3 was coming out yeah and they were showing it off there and you could you could do a hands-on trial with it and the guy who was showing people how to play the game had this big boast like oh if you can beat me then you get you know i'm the best there is that's why it's my job (laughs) and i fucking wrecked him (laughs) doing a song i'd never done before and when I think of the hours of my life I poured into Guitar Hero, <laughs> and I think about how much better I would be at actual guitar, a hundred percent, if I had done that instead. What What really irks me is that I never got. They released one. Um, co- they made a game called Rocksmith, which was yes, like you with, pl- plugged in a real with the guitar. Real guitar, yeah, and it made so much sense as a piece of uh, as a bit of game design it was design a really good learning tool apparently i like, wish i'd gotten it i never yeah. got it though because by that time i can't afford another blooming plastic pretend guitar exactly. even though it's a real, even though well, it's a real I could, one i, I could really it. play guitar and that was the, the thing <laughs> like guitar hero was actually to the detriment of my real guitar playing <laughs> i found rock so band, many people say that about yeah, guitar hero i found rock band to be one of the most frustrating experiences ever because as i said i'm a i'm a jazz drummer right i'm a good drummer i don't want to blow my own horn but i literally spent 10 hours a day for like 12 years of my life getting good at jazz drums and i would sit down to play songs that i could play in real life on rock band and i would play them how they go and rock band would say no that's wrong and i would lose the game and then i would be very annoyed i'd say well that's not how the drums go (laughs) i'm doing the real drums everyone i know who has ever played who can play real music then plays oh i can probably play it rock band or guitar with and it's just not as good it's not the same no but, but I, fascinating. I, I loved Guitar Hero so much. I, I just used to sit and do that for hours. Sam Rhodes, what is objectively, what is objectively the best video game of all time? 
I actually looked at this question this morning and I had to think a long time, right? Yes. Because I was going to say Last of Us Part 2. Wow. But then... I changed my mind. Okay. So Tears of the Kingdom. No, it's not Tears of the Kingdom either. I think the best objective game for achieving the the goals of being a computer game is Tetris. Oh, hello. I think Tetris... I didn't think Tetris would come up so early in the show. Tetris is the finest piece of game design anyone has ever done. It is marvellous. I think Tetris is an amazing game because literally anyone of any age can play it. And it digs into that very primal thing that keeps people playing games, which is the gameplay loop that's effectively tidying up. Yeah, yeah. The it's aim just of the sort game is to is sort this? it out. Yeah, yeah, things are unordered. You've got to put them in order. And I always think, because Tetris, when I think about games I've played since I started playing computer games, Tetris is probably the game I've played the most. Because there's so many iterations of Tetris. Yeah. You can get it on your phone. You can get it on the PC. Tetris Effect is amazing. Yes, if yes. If you play that in the, the VR headset. And I remember having it on my Game Boy as a child. Yeah. And one Christmas, my grandfather becoming obsessed with it. That's fantastic. See, I, I remember my I remember the GameCube had an add-on called the Game Boy Player, where you could put yeah, the Game you Boy could plug cartridges the Game Boys in. into it. Yeah, yeah. So, spoiler alert: Game Boy cartridges and Game Boy Advance cartridges do not look great upscaled on a GameCube. Of course not. But yeah. it was a laugh, and it was a great way. And, and the thing is, my dad started playing Tetris on the telly. Yeah. And it was just lovely to watch. Well, that's the thing. I think it just absolutely succeeds in what a computer game is supposed to do i think it appeals to a young kid as much as it appeals to an older person there are so many variations and ways you can play the game but still almost 40 years later that the base game is still the same and i yeah. can't think of any other example of of that existing and i think there's so many imaginative and intuitive ways that people have made tetris more engaging and I think that's a real achievement because to take something that's one of the most engaging experiences in all of humanity and then somehow make it more addictive, like, great work. It's, <laughs> I, 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 have you played Tetris 99 on the Switch? Yes. So I think Tetris 99 is possibly the best online game ever made. It's, it's a it's wonderful, just perfect. wonderful thing. You must remember when we were in Edinburgh together, we played Tetris oh, all we the played, fucking yes. time. <laughs> I, I, so, so I think Ian Lane's doing the show in a few weeks and I remember leaving the Switch on in the, in the lounge with yeah. the telly and I'd just been playing Tetris a bit, and then Ian had a go, you had a go, Ian had a go, whatever. And um, didn't Ian, I just remember, Ian, wasn't Ian, didn't Ian do a show at a festival the following year called something like, there's no time for Tetris, Ian, you've got to yeah. come and do comedy or something. <laughs> Well, that's but, it. Anytime all of us were in the the lodgings, we were all just playing Tetris. It's just it, it's just marvelous, and it's, yeah. it's, there's there's and there's so much strategy, and it's so simple. And also, the second that first block appears, you just go, ah, I've yeah. got to do something. Well, and the beauty of it is, like, it's you can really noticeably see yourself improve. Yeah, yeah and yeah. I think that's such a good thing about computer games. You you want to feel like I am getting more proficient at this the more I play it. And I think Tetris has that as well as just being a beautiful, simple design. You don't need any language to understand it. As game design goes, it's it's almost unbeatable. And I think the look of the thing, it's really weird. When I was out in Moscow, obviously the uh, at Red Square, the Kremlin at the Red Square is the picture on the front of the oh, game. Of course. And I was like, oh, it's the Church of St. Tetris. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I adore Tetris. Top, now, top 10. We're trying to be nice about video games here and say mm-hmm. how wonderful they were for our life and how they were there for us. However, what is the worst video game you've ever played? Well, I, I, I'm i going to cheat here and I've got to have two that are tied. They're, okay. both, they're both PS1 games. Ooh. We used to live next door to an ex-rental, uh, video rental place nice. when I was a kid. And they would have rental games that then they couldn't rent and they would sell them very, 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 very cheap. So you could pick up a PS1 game for a tenth of what it was if it was an ex-rental. And of course, without game review websites, it was very hard to know whether a game was going to be good or whether it was going to be terrible. Sure. And there are two licensed games that we bought for probably a pound or two pound from this ex-rental company Okay. that are 100% the worst games I have ever played. Um, And they are? I think... The second worst is uh, Celebrity Deathmatch. What the hell is Celebrity Deathmatch? Celebrity I want to play Deathmatch it right now. It was a 90s <laughs> television show, late 90s, early 2000s. It was a claymation show where it was wrestling, professional wrestling, but all of the people doing the wrestling were famous celebrities. So you'd get like Marilyn Manson versus Charles Manson. Oh my God, it and looks horrible. It was a claymation television show. Um, that they then licensed as a computer game where you could play as Claymation Marilyn Manson fighting like uh, Claymation, I don't know, who are, who the other celebrities were off the top of my head. But it was so unplayably bad, <laughs> there was almost no actual gameplay. Oh, right. Like, it looked very much like the television show, which was actually quite impressive. Yeah. You know, they used the, the old sort of animating clay sprites like they used to do in the older games. I don't know if you played Clay Fighter yeah, years, sure, years sure. and years ago. But yeah, they used that sort of style. So it looked exactly like the TV show. But the control system was utter dog turd. The hitboxes were just unbelievable. You had no way of telling whether you were winning or not. The story mode was horrendous. And I think even as a relatively young man, I was like, how on earth can something this bad be released and sold to people as a product? And it's weird when you're a kid and a game is bad. Yes. Because you, are, because you can't... That doesn't make sense. It's like it's, it's like when a, it's like the first time you see a film and think this is this I think a film is bad. It yeah. doesn't make this is time not being spent on homework or school. Exactly. How could it be bad? Well, what was the other one? Uh, celebrity. Oh, the other worst game. As I said, Celebrity Deathmatch genuinely made me upset. Like it made me angry, but it did not make me as upset as Spice Girls. Yeah, go on. We had the no, Spice World tie-in computer game. Of course, there was. Um, I, I think I actually have seen a friend of mine playing it once. It is easily the worst game anyone has ever released for full price <laughs> it's base, full price it is full price it's basically i think total gameplay in the game is about 25 minutes it's like a horrendous parappa the rapper style game where you oh, have okay. to press the buttons in time to the music and little animated spice girls do a dance and then it's got some other weird little mini games that don't really work properly and you complete the whole game in under half an hour and they released that at full price. And they released it at full price, a tie-in to the movie, I believe it was. Sure. And it was on the PS1, and I had that because I was a big Spice Girls fan, I, I, I'm not going to lie. I, sp- I suppose the game can only be as long as all of the songs licensed for the that game. That was pretty much it. And if I remember correctly, it had like four Spice Girls songs in it. So That's it didn't even enough. have like a whole album. That's path- You'd think it would at least be the album of the yeah, movie. but once you had done one level... Oh, were they not even programmed properly? No, you were just like, oh, I totally under... There was no difficulty curve. It was very simple inputs that you had to do. And as I said, it was barely a game. 
it was you know if you downloaded it as a free mobile phone game now you'd be like this is shit <laughs> but people were paying 50 quid for that game and it was i i don't think i've ever played a game as bad in my entire existence it was truly 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 terrible never play the spice girls game on ps1 it's shit Sam Rhodes, what is your favourite game, personally? It's not necessarily the best game of all time. It's not necessarily a game that anyone else understands, but you just know, the game that you just love and it is your game, and, and, and you will stand up for it. Well, I love Civilization. Um, Civ Six in particular destroyed my life for a long period of time. I think I love games like Bioshock. I love The Last of Us. I love a, a story. Yeah. But I, I prefer, I believe the term now is um, em, emergent storytelling. This idea that you play a game and you role play and you create the story of the game yeah. by doing it. So Dwarf Fortress is the big one that everyone loves at the moment, which is this sort of thing. But I think Civilization is like a perfect version of that. I think Civilization kind of is a very in-depth game, which is very beautifully designed. But it's also a really good example of a way of learning about things like diplomacy about how the world works i know it's a weird thing to compare it to but you know like um me and my wife obviously my wife is russian and we watch a lot of news about the russian invasion and stuff and i'll sort of say oh i think this is going to happen and then it does (laughs) and it's exclusively because i have played civilization and you know it's it's just a beautiful simulation of a world, you know, and it works so well. My I, I my, my two favorite pieces of trivia about Civilization are that number one, uh, in the original, Gandhi was programmed incorrectly. Yes, yeah, so and he was that super he was pro- violent. Yeah. He was programmed as having like the lowest <laughs> level of peace, yeah, like, like the lowest level of violence. But then if you if he got downgraded by one, that meant he went up to accidentally went up to two yeah. two five six or whatever it was, and therefore became incredibly violent. Yes. Uh, and my other favorite ones, I remember there being an article about uh, comparing 1984 to video games, asking, mm. what if you actually simulated 1984? And someone had done a simulation of 1984 in Civilization and like reduced democracy, reduced all of the workers' rations and all that stuff, and just to try to have a war. And eventually their, their, their society just collapsed. Yes. <laughs> it's such a, like... Well, that's what I love about it, because I love Sims. I love I love games like that, you know, where you... Where you where you see what happens if you do certain things and you know the decisions you make really affect the gameplay and i think like um it's like like, i i it's like an age of empires you don't build enough workers earlier on you're not going to sustain yourself right and i think those sorts of games they they really help you understand how to plan and do things i know that's a weird (laughs) thing to say but i think those games really help people make good logical decisions and understand like for example in real life i cannot save money Sure. I love spending my money. I think life is for living and money's for spending. But when I play Civ, I'm a fucking shrewd economist. <laughs> you're like a you're a proper deficit hawk. Yeah. You're a proper like you're um, being like austerity is necessary for yeah. the long term, guys. That's Trust right. me. <laughs> and I just think all the, the you know all of the the diplomacy in it, the the idea of choosing when to make friends and when to lose friends, you know, all of this. I just think it appeals to me on a on a on a real level. And I think that once again, the game the gameplay loop is always what I'm obsessed with, you know. Um, and the way that game evolves over the 10 or 12 hours it takes to play a full game yeah. is just so satisfying. And there are very few games I could finish a sitting that's that long and then think, right, I want to start again right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think Civ, Civ has just built that. It's built an addiction machine. It's, it's really beautiful. It's amazingly well done. Uh, what film or TV show 
would you like to see a game of that hasn't been done yet? And if it could be done by the or is there a game that you really think, how have they not made a really good film or TV out of this yet? The, the thing that you obviously never capture with a computer game adaption is that you are doing it. The thing, the, the, the big difference between playing a computer game and watching a film is that watching a film is a passive thing. Mm. You have no impact on what happens in the movie. Whereas a computer game, obviously the, the real thing that people like about computer games is that they are in control of this. Thing. Yeah. I would love to see a live action gothic horror Castlevania done properly. Oh, hello. That could be fun. Because There's they, a lot of characters and a lot of lore they can play with. Castlevania's a very interesting... Like, I was a huge fan of those games um, since the very first one. And um, I think that the anime is too anime for me <laughs> i'm not an anime guy fair enough and i tried because i love castlevania and i tried to watch those my sister like, loves the anime she says it's amazing oh, i just can't really like it yeah but i'm a huge godzilla fan and i can't watch any of the godzilla animes i, I just no i'm just not into <laughs> anime unfortunately I, fair. I don't like it fair but, enough um yeah i think a really a really well done gothic dark castlevania live action movie ideally made in the 90s around the time they did an interview with a vampire would be the movie i'd want to see it's obviously based on all the classic universal horrors yeah. so you've got all the great archetypes you could have some really fucking cool stuff happening in that i think the characters would be easy to write you know you've got a guy who's got this sort of ancient connection to ancient evil his family is always born to slay vampires and of course the vampires view him as some sort of evil monster who's coming to kill them all and i just think it's got a great base for what could be something really really fun I, I i just love that in the 80s they came up with a character called simon belmont yes simon belmont. The he is who that you're interested in it's simon Hello, I'm Simon. I've got my whip. I'm going to whip some vampires. Whips, of course, never traditionally used to kill vampires. <laughs> so, like, should he have a stake? No, he shall have a whip. Sam Rhodes, <laughs> doing this first episode of Apocalypse Arcade Zone with you has been absolutely lovely, and we will definitely have you back if this works out. Oh, it's been my for, pleasure, Squire. And thank you for having me in your house to do it. But when the world ended, and we didn't really go into the specifics of how the world ended for you, but it sounded like you just saw it coming and mm. went and, hide it, and hid, hid, hid in the bunker. Away, yeah. It was something on the news app, and you were like, that's it, to the bunker. You didn't even take Maria with you. <laughs> you probably took the gaming PC with you. You probably took one of the guitars. Yeah. You probably couldn't quite fit all the whole drum kit in, but you went, you went straight, straight to the bunker and the location, and you found all these arcade games, and that's great. You found all these games, and you left, but, 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 you could only, but, but as you were getting towards the end of your rations in the bunker you could only really leave one uh to be discovered by the apes in the future or whatever mm. civilization gets past the apes or whichever whatever <laughs> i'm gonna say that every week because i've become obsessed with planet of the apes yeah, this year but um um never gonna be the good planet of the apes game don't think that's true the the, the playstation one is horrendous the original uh, they... one was really bad you could anyway any, anyway um um you you've you've left one you can if you could leave one of the games of that we or it could be one you've not already mentioned but one game to be left to prosperity to survive the apocalypse and be discovered by future civilization which game will it be it's a tough question because my initial thought is to go straight to te tetris but i thought no, you're gonna say tetris but no i'm not gonna go to tetris because if they're gonna be rebuilding society they need a good <laughs> thing to look at to know how not to rebuild society Okay. So I'm going to leave Bioshock instead. Bioshock is going to stay there as a um, 
you know, as a as a monument to how you mustn't let unfettered capitalism happen. <laughs> you're gonna have to make you have to leave a poster on saying, "Do not do this." Yes, do not do this. This but is enjoy not the game. a good idea. Like this is a good example of what not to do. But enjoy the game. Enjoy the game. It's a brilliant <laughs> game. Make sure you murder loads of children and run around in a big diving suit. But do you know? Don't don't do the Andrew Ryan. Stay away. Sam Rhodes, thank you so much for joining me on the Apocalypse Arcade Zone. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed that. And that was the first episode of Apocalypse Arcade Zone. Thank you so much to my friend and guest and helpful producing man, Sam Rhodes. You can find Sam on Twitter at Samus underscore the underscore hut. Samus with two S, two two M's. And two S is obviously one each end. He's also on Facebook if you search Sam Rhodes Comedy Explosion, which has his live work and all his comedy gigs. You can also find two whole specials of his on Amazon Prime. And I think his Twitter will also link you to where you can get, find, discover and enjoy Meet the Junior Misses. You can find me on Twitter at Wengle and you can find me on Instagram at iWengle. If you enjoyed the show, please listen, and when we come back, please listen again, and we'll have another guest chatting their life in games, and please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts in particular, please feel very free to write a nice review. Uh, Maybe tell us about your favourite gaming memory. Maybe we can start a nice little chat there. I hope to make this bigger and better, and I hope you enjoyed the show. But that is the end of this week's episode, so please go and have a lovely day, and I look forward to welcoming you again to the Apocalypse Arcade Zone. Bye!